Radio Mano Papachango. on the scorched earth where a giant wooden structure once stood. A couple of nights ago it was burned as thousands of people watched and then uh, we dropped away our costumes and danced around the fire. I'm at Burning Seed which is one of Australia's regional Burning Man events day here, trying to stitch it all together and get ready for the dive back into society with all its craziness and rush. Just wanted to send love to you guys, fellow listeners, these ideas that keep pushing me to explore the world and myself. Thanks for what you do, Chris. Much love. Hey Chris, this is Dave um, from Peru, Vermont, uh, just on my way home from work. Uh, it's peak foliage up here. I pulled over to kind of just check things out. Hit shuffle play on my phone and Colin Hayes' uh, Beautiful World came on. So I just wanted to thank you for that song. I heard it on your podcast, I don't know, some time ago. And a thank you for your podcast in general. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Hi Chris, this is Art from Odessa, Ukraine. Nothing special to report, just to get back from the gym. Um, nothing on par with what other folks were reporting before. I just want to say thank you. And um, I've been reading a book you suggested years ago, Affluence Without Abundance, great stuff. Highly recommended for everybody. Um, so thanks for what you're doing. I'll try to listen to every other episode. Thanks, thanks a lot, bye. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. I'm coming to you from a tiny little eccentric town at the base of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which means the Blood of Christ Mountains. The town's called Crestone. It's a very cool little place. You might hear insects in the background. I'm sitting in a beautiful garden, um, and there's lots going on out here. This episode is with a guy we're going to call Daniel. We're not using his full name uh, at his request because we talk about some stuff that um, maybe he'd prefer not get back to him directly. Daniel was in the Marines, um, served in Iraq. He then came back and worked on a SWAT SWAT team. and uh, did that for, uh, I think it was five years or so. And now he's living on some land in Idaho with his wife and three beautiful kids uh, out in the middle of nowhere and sort of homesteading. Uh, they're in tents. They're, they're, actually, their tents got blown away a couple months ago in a freak storm. 
Um, hopefully, they're back on their feet and everything's good now. But uh, I went and spent a few days with them and, and got to know the family. And um, man, beautiful people. And um, anyway, we talk about some of his experiences. Daniel's one of these guys, and, and I don't know if there's a theme. Um, I know all sorts of different people are listening to this podcast, different ages, male, female, and otherwise. Um, but um, there does seem to be a theme of particular kind of of guys that I meet on the road who listen to this. Maybe they're just the guys who recognize me or come up and say hi or whatever, but they seem to be men who are in very masculine worlds. Um, but these men are more complex and nuanced than the worlds they find themselves in. Um, I'm thinking of a guy named Travis up, uh, at, uh, near Lake Louise Jasper, who is just the sweetest, coolest, gentlest guy you can imagine who, builds log cabins for a living with a chainsaw. Now, if there's a more macho way to make a living, I don't know what it is. Um, I, I think Daniel falls into this category as well. He's so, I mean, you look at his life and it's like all macho energy. It's or at least masculine energy, you know, soldier and law enforcement and, you know, physical, tough, like throws people around, knows how to defend himself. He's out there living off the land, you know, or living on the land anyway, um, you know, doing stuff for himself. But then you talk to the guy and he's he's nuanced and he's sweet and he's thoughtful and there's a real depth and and uh, and a beauty to him. And, I, you know, I don't want to say he's in touch with his feminine side because I don't necessarily believe that depth and nuance are feminine any more than strength and courage are masculine. Uh, they span all genders. And, um, but I do think that there's um, a beautiful balance to people like this. And it makes me really proud to see that uh, there is that pattern in a lot of the people who listen to this podcast. And I know it's the same <clears throat> with women as well, by the way. I know there aren't, you know, women who are listening to this are probably pretty balanced people, pretty, um, uh, you know, wide spectrum, I guess. I don't imagine a lot of real girly girls who want to listen to what I have to say. So, um, yeah, anyway, I'm just really happy that there are people like this and, and I always sort of hoped if I ever get in trouble with the police again, that the cop would be somebody cool that I could actually talk to. Probably not. Probably not. Um, but you never know. There's a chance. Anyway, he's not a cop anymore. He's left all that. And uh, a lot of this conversation is about what it's like to be a cop when you're actually emotionally vulnerable and alive and you recognize how fucked up some of the things are that you have to do, which is uh, always a conundrum. This episode, like many others recently, is brought to you by Sunbasket. The good folks at Sunbasket have figured out, I don't know how, but they've figured out how to run a business selling food, shipping food in recyclable, chilled containers that somehow 
uh, they're able to send, I guess it's just a scale thing, I don't know, but they use uh, organic produce, clean ingredients, uh, all the healthiest stuff that you can possibly find, and it's all pre-measured, pre-calculated. You get the recipe book with, I think it's 18 recipes every week. Uh, even if you're only getting one shipment a week, you still get the full recipe book every week with 18 new recipes that you can use uh, you know, with your own ingredients. When you stop using this service or when you move out of the country or whatever, you can take that with you. So uh, sunbasket.com forward slash TS. You get this amazing deal. 50% off your first two orders. Orders are 60 bucks generally, so you're paying 30 bucks for the first two. And as I've said before, you can cancel anytime. There's no obligation, no bullshit. Check it out. I mean, it's a no-brainer. At least get those first two, see how you like it, and then see what you want to do. Uh, I've got my mom on it, um, Stanley Krippner, who many of you know from the podcast. He lives by himself. He's got a meeting this week with Meals on Wheels to see about um, that service, bringing him some food. But I think I'm going to supplement that with a Sunbasket subscription as well. So, yeah, if you know people who live alone, whether they're, you know, they're elderly or they just don't have time to cook or they don't have time to cook the kind of, you know, interesting meals that we all love, um, you know, you can fry up a burger in 20 minutes, but you can also make one of these meals in 20 minutes. And uh, as you'll see, if you get that trial, that uh, discount offer, these are really interesting meals. And the other thing about them, and there are other services that do the same kind of thing. That I guess one of the things that distinguishes Sunbasket from the others is that they have the widest range of special Diet. So if you're paleo or you're vegan or you're vegetarian or low carb or whatever your thing is, um, Sunbasket probably has a track that will accommodate exactly what kind of food you eat. So check them out. Sunbasket.com forward slash TS for half off your first two orders. So I was in L.A. last week reading the audio version of Civilized to Death. Um and that was an interesting experience. I was working with a guy named Travis who does this uh, for a living. He um, produces these. He said, he'd, I think he said he's done over, it was either 1,000 or 10,000 books by now. But I don't know, whatever. He's been doing it for a long time. And um, it was interesting. It's hard to read for six hours. It's hard on the voice and it's hard on the brain. I couldn't believe how exhausted I was. You know, just that process of of taking words on a screen or marks on a screen, turning them into words in your head and then having them come out of your mouth with the proper emotion and tone and volume. And um, yeah, that takes a lot of processing power. So I was exhausted, um, but I'm glad I did it. It's, uh, you know, they're my words, right? I wrote the damn thing, so I know how it's supposed to sound, at least in theory. On that note, um, I, I get emails from people all the time saying, dude, why didn't you read Sex at Dawn? Oh, these actors sound so stilted, whatever. I, I wanted to. They wouldn't let me. 
Uh, you know, at the time I was a first time author. I didn't have any pull. I didn't have any leverage. I said I'd do it for free. And they're like, no, no, we've got actors. We have pros who do this. So they didn't let me do it. They just let me do the preface, uh, where I talk about being attacked by a monkey in Malaysia. Um, but it's a 10 year contract, which means the contract's coming up, uh, next year, 2020. And I'm thinking rather than renew the contract, I might just do a 10th year anniversary audiobook of, of Sex at Dawn where I read it. And then I'm also going to like have it'll be like a director's cut. So there will be certain paragraphs where I'll say, uh, you know, I remember when I wrote this and I wasn't sure whether to include this phrase or not. And, you know, I talked to my dad about it, like back sort of backstage stuff behind the scenes. Not a lot because I don't want to interrupt the flow of the book, but I do have things, comments and, you know, areas where I wish I'd expanded or areas I wish I'd left out. And so that might be interesting just to add some extra bonus value. Uh, speaking of bonus content and sort of change things, I'm going to be um, announcing a new website pretty soon. Uh, some really wonderful people have been working uh, for the last few months setting up a new website. And uh, I'm going to have some new sponsorship opportunities uh, that is people uh, can you know send me money and get bonus content of one sort or another um, anyway I'm going to be making an official announcement on that within the next couple of weeks so uh, that's coming up and I'm on the road for another three weeks as I said I'm in Colorado right now and I'm going to be heading west from here probably down into Telluride, the San Juans. Um, we've got a couple podcasts to record out that way. Some people, uh, hopefully, I'm going to be able to meet up with. And then uh, down into Utah. And if the weather's cool enough, I'd like to spend some time hanging around Moab, Arches, um, you know, that beautiful area, the Red Rocks. Those of you who've been there know what I'm talking about. Um, do some mountain biking, maybe float down a river if if any of the water levels are high enough. Um, yeah, I've got some friends in Moab I'd like to see. Then to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. Um, yeah, so some of the parks around there are just stunning. So anyway, just meandering west from here toward L.A., get into L.A., uh, yeah, around the 20th or so. And the book drops on October 1st. So I'm going to be on book tour, as I think I mentioned last episode. I'm going to be on book tour in October. Going to be coming to New York, um, maybe Chicago, not sure. Uh, definitely Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Denver. Yeah, I'll be in Denver as well. So if you live near any of those places, uh, hope you can come out and say hi at one of those events. And that's about it. I'm just going to shut up and uh, play you out with a tune. It's just a funky tune. I love this tune. It's, I don't know when it's from, the 70s probably. It came out when I was young. Um, and it's just a real warm weather, cruising in your car, summer tune. It's called Lowrider. It's by War. Thanks for listening. Bye. All my 
overlooking a beautiful lake with Daniel, who wrote to me, reached out on Instagram, uh, what, a week ago or something, and just said, hey, I'm living off grid with my wife and kids, and told me a little bit about his life, and we decided to take a detour and hang out, and glad we did. Thanks for inviting me, man. You're welcome. I'm glad you did, too. Yeah. It's good to have a guest here. Yeah, it's... it's uh, it's such an American situation here, you know? It's, <laughs> yeah. It's like there. this doesn't happen in other countries, I don't think, you know? Like, you just buy some land and you move up there and set up some tents and start working <laughs> and eventually you'll have a house. And Yeah. I mean, it's it's there's a real sort of like uh, homesteading kind of quality to it. You know, yeah, it's interesting you say that because early on when we were still sort of you know, we spent a few years in suburbia, you know, paying a mortgage on a home and whatnot. And 
I used to think, man, it'd be so cool to, you know, have a little hobby farm or, a, you know, some keep some animals or have a space to yourself. But I'm like, oh, well, you know, I don't know how to do that. I'm, it's not in my family right. really to be a rancher or anything. I don't didn't learn that. Yeah. And then uh, then I thought, well, shoot, man a good portion of the folks that came over on some ship and then just cast off into the wild west back in the day probably didn't know every little thing about it either and you either figured it out in a year or two or he gave or up or and died. went back to the or died killed by indians <laughs> yeah yeah one of the, so there's a lot less it's a lot easier for us now you got you know university of youtube you can study and right. learn just about anything you want and costco down the road <laughs> yeah, yeah you can bail out <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, I mean it's 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 great here. We're I should also tell people set the scene a little bit. We're sitting in the front of the van. The doors open. It's raining a little bit. It's uh, pretty sweet. We were hanging with your sons earlier. Uh we saw wild turkeys walk through here. They they we were playing hide and go seek. They scared a couple of of uh, fawns. They were sort of hiding out, I think yeah. in the grass and they went running off. I think I saw coyote shit on the yep. driveway. Is that yeah, what that is with yep. the hair in it, mm-hmm. all the rabbit hair? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on here, and there's a beautiful view out over a lake. So you, um, one of the things you mentioned that intrigued me was that you'd been in the Marines for six years, was it? Eight years. Eight years. 2002 to 2010. And, uh, and you were deployed in Iraq, you said? Yep, Iraq yeah. and... Uh, you know, I, was, I, I mentioned I was kind of eager when I got in it, uh, looked like I was going to head to Afghanistan. I grew up oh, in the Pacific right. Northwest, Cascade Mountains, and fancied myself a little bit of a mountain man or something like that was my, yeah. wanted to see if I had what it took up there. But um, yeah, the the guy in charge of picking who goes where for your specific job in the Marines, he's at the time when I was getting ready to go to Afghanistan, that guy was a gentleman who was a superior of mine when I was a young new Marine and he sort of saw something in me or something and decided to mentor me a little bit and pick me out of all the knuckleheads in my squad to sort of be the de facto leader because we were all kind of a low rank Mm. and everyone was you know just young Marine stuff misbehaving and whatnot and probably since I was slightly less of a troublemaker he picked me to kind of try and keep rein him in and it was sort of annoying because I was always under his radar and he'd pick me for every little thing he needed to get done but because I I did do my best for him and screwed plenty of things up and then kind of learned the marine way how to fix it and and yeah anyway when it was time to go to Afghanistan he, he called me up or in whatever way we chatted on the phone and he said ah you don't need to go to, to uh afghanistan man let me uh he he called me and said i'm sending you to hawaii to train other marines to go to afghanistan and i you know the marines are we always want to be at, in, at the tip of the spear and all this i mean i guess any serviceman would say something similar but yeah i was like i'll go i'll go top let just send me where they need me and I'm really happy. He sent me to Hawaii. I lived in the country. I lived in a in a hammock for almost two years, you know, and just uh, chipped away at a college degree while I was teaching young Marines the stuff I learned in my first few years, and it was beautiful. 
So you never you never did go to Afghanistan? No, yeah, for better or worse. Like, you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, man, I wish I'd have gone. I wish I'd have gone on more tours and more tours. But um, Why? Well, I, I'm sure it's uh, part of the indoctrination, you know. I mean, I, I joined up. I was 23 or 4. I was already semi-mature you know i'd been living on my own since i was a teenager this was after 9-11 yeah right. yeah shortly after 9-11 i had a job that got me through i didn't i wasn't like joining up right after 9-11 yeah. but yeah anyway so I, I went in with a little maturity and i remember you're uh one of the early parts of boot camp you're sitting in this auditorium with a bunch of other guys and not allowed to let your back touch the seat back you know you get to stand, sit ramrod straight and you watch basically uh at least for my generation we watched this combat footage real life combat footage with this song uh how does it go you know it goes let the bodies hit the floor let the bodies hit the floor you know it's like a new metal song mm. uh you know i remember like looking around as much as i could thinking like are they for real here like it was so um, cut and dry, like let's indoctrinate these kids, you right, know. Right. <laughs> and and uh, pretty obvious about yeah, it. yeah. And and um, to kind of fire you up instead of get disturbed about the whole scene, you know. And uh, right, I don't know. So I was old enough to kind of not buy into it, and yet it's such a in depth process that goes on for months that I'm still indoctrinated after it all, even knowing mm. from day one, oh, I'm. I'm going in here and going to get indoctrinated, but... It worked anyway. Yeah, totally worked. <laughs> so you think if, if, I mean, I'm old and flabby, I could never do it, but if, if I were to go through boot camp, you think I'd come out believing that stuff? I mean, we'd have, you, you know, I guess we would need to be specific about the stuff. Right. Like, what do I mean? I mean, I it's not natural for me or hopefully most human beings to, to be like, yeah, I'm down with killing people. You know, but um, you need to be sold the story and sold the reasons. At least I hope most people do. Yeah. And I would, I would say that I wasn't surrounded by bloodthirsty dudes all the time. Although we often talk like it, you know. Right. Uh, That's probably know. part of the indoctrination, right? Right. To get you talking that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you know. So what do you think? I mean, having been through that, is. Is that sort of training channeling human nature or overriding human nature? You know, um, I'm sure, especially the, you know, any veterans listening probably know Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, famous for writing on combat and on mm -hmm. killing. Right. Really just treasure to those of us that have worked in that realm and including law enforcement and stuff. Uh, you know, I would think, and it seems like Lieutenant Colonel Grossman would agree that it that it's overcoming human nature. And I right. think he addresses it in books, and I've heard it elsewhere that, you know, in World War One, a very low percentage of guys actually fired their weapon purposefully at the enemy. And in World War Two, a slightly larger percentage. And a lot of a little them more. aimed over the enemy's head. Yeah, that kind of stuff, or shot in the yeah. middle ground, and right. that kind of stuff. And it's not that I, I by no means think that those guys are cowards. I mean, I, I also love history, and I am just blown away by the courage and heroism, and the horrors they faced seemed so much 
deeper and darker you know I, I feel like I seen some shit so to speak but part of that is because I had such a lovely life thanks to in part to these other guys who fought darker and harder wars mm. you know so um for those reasons it does seem like no the this um indoctrination these boot camps and these necessary things probably are to make it so human beings who should and and do seem to have an aversion to killing other human beings be, be somehow more okay with that and so I, I think i heard one of the things they did was change the targets you shoot out from like a bullseye circle to an outline of a person and by the time i'm operating deeper into the marine corps later on the swat team and stuff is uh it's it's just people it's pictures of people and they're holding different objects and they you know by the time you're in the swat team you have to make sure your rounds are going in very tiny portions of their face or their chest you know not you can't just if you were to shoot someone in the shoulder you're just done being on the swat team because you suck at shooting really and, yeah huh. and if you shoot them shoot them in the you know cheek or ear compared to right in the little t of their eyes and nose then then they don't they don't need you on the team there's plenty of guys to take your spot and wow yeah that's when that's when you when you're not really thinking about that day to day you guys i guess it's been pretty effective and yeah in the indoctrination now that doesn't mean that you're never going to feel a qualm anywhere you know operating in, in your job and by all means i uh spent plenty of time racking my brain and heart after the fact that's what i was going to say the training might make it more possible for you for you to do it but not to live with it after right and you know i'm i i don't harbor hard feelings toward the military or anything i think that there's efforts there to offer help you know i remember there was a guy that talked to us before we went I remember because his analogy, if that's the right word, was funny to me. He called called it the combat stress coffee cup, and you, sometimes you get your your uh, combat stress coffee cup is partially full of coffee, and you might have an experience that's like someone throwing a pebble in there and it jostles it a little bit, and then one day somebody might throw a golf ball or two in there and it just spills out, and uh, that stuck with me a little bit because I remember when I was in boot camp. Uh, you know, the Marines are famous for swearing a lot, you know, and really creatively. And I found it actually really hilarious because I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't been watching a full metal jacket or anything yet. Ironically, I didn't know what I was getting into exactly. Right. And I just thought, found it so funny, which made them not very happy. So I had a struggle with that. Not supposed to laugh. No, no. I, I finally yeah. buttoned that down after a little, uh, uh, friction with the mm. drill instructors but um so uh, do i really really do that they scream at you and tell oh, yeah. you you're a piece of shit and you're uh, uh, and getting your face and all <laughs> oh, that yeah really? yeah i mean it's beautiful it's beautiful <laughs> chaos i mean i'm so happy they do that there's this thing my stepmom told me about called mothers maybe not mothers against marines but something like that like mothers who want to fix the marine corps or something yeah. and i said when she told me what it was basically they mothers that want to make it a little nicer you know yeah. come on don't don't talk shit on my kid right. he's a good kid and i said you know i i think i should start an organization called 
Marines against mothers against <laughs> Marines. Like, no, they absolutely have to have that, not only in the Marine Corps. Please, at least in the Marine Corps, let there be a, a last bastion of hardness. But anyway, all of the branches have beautiful hardness to go through in their own ways. And I and think how it's does that necessary. Help you, having this guy scream at you and tell you you're worthless. Okay. That's a good question, and I've pondered it, and I've heard <laughs> things since then that have made me really scratch my head over it is, I'm going to get these terms wrong, but you probably know better than me. It's like that, um, so it's all about the break them down and build right. them back up, right? right. Now, w- there was that ancient Greek thing, right, with the uh, the drink that may have been... Oh, may have been some sort of psychedelic. Yeah, right. and it was like a co- total rite of passage, like how you become an adult, like including right. from the highest to the lowest of people. And if I understand right, part of that process was like walking either stripped, or at least stripped of your pr- whatever prestige you held in the society and having people holler and yell and scream at you, you know? Uh-huh. I think, man... I'm just not smart enough to know all the answers, but I have speculated on it. And it just, it seems part of that process of like, I don't know. It's, it's sort of making me think even now, like to, to just, I clung to what I felt was my identity in the early weeks of boot camp. I laughed when I shouldn't have been laughing. Mm. I actually physically fought against the drill instructors a little bit. Um, and then I, in the same week, I had a few of my ribs broken in one of those exchanges, which is, these aren't necessarily condoned by the Marine Corps brass or anything, but it's an absolutely uh, prevalent or or has been in the past. And, and I think good and necessary part of boot camp for there to be some, some of that. And, uh, and then this other kid who was also pushing back even more than me, I saw him pretty get stomped in pretty good and then not not seen again and so with that happening in a week i really reflected on something like all right i i am clinging pretty tenaciously to my my what i felt was my identity some pride and ego i'm sure of like i'm you know i'm i don't have to do every little thing they tell me i can still get it but anyway after that dude got uh carted off and not seen again i reflected man i I want this i want what appears to be at the other side of this i was at a time i remember before i joined up where i was just like i don't know i remember telling a buddy of mine i feel like i need to do something drastic in my life i need to either like join a monastery or join the military and i'd never in my life i mean i was kind of raised as a little punk rock skater kid or I mean, not raised that way, but that's who I felt that I was. So to me, I'm like, I like the dead Kennedys who talk about jackbooted thugs and all this stuff. I don't want to be a fascist, you know, cop or military guy. But then, but I think maybe that was a seed that shortly thereafter in a matter of weeks or months, but I, it was in the military, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty drastic. Yeah, it is. And so you actually um, got into a physical fight with your drill instructor? Well, I pushed back a little in that early week or two. Um, and actually, the time I got my my ribs broken were, uh, you know, I was standing at attention, but I was fighting back laughter because of how creative they can be. At, you know, you, 
what's beautiful about a good drill instructor is he can he can put the f word in the middle of another word like so he interrupts a word just to fit another swear word in there uh, which reminds me why I started down this path anyway, which is, okay, so I'm I'm laughing or trying to fight back to laugh, but they already know that this dude has an issue and can't keep his damn mouth shut. And right. and it's good that they wanted me to shut up because you need to be able to lock your ass up when you need to be quiet. Whether you have to cough, sneeze, laugh, fart, you, if you need to be quiet, you need to be quiet. So learn how to do that. Right. And um, so I get it now, but at the time, and so I'm like fighting back to laugh and standing at the position of attention, like a hundred other guys around the squad bay. And then he, you know, came in front of me and, and I thought he was going to like check punch me, you know, but either on accident or on purpose, he landed that punch right in my ribs, which I think had been loosened up from McMap training, which we were some of the earlier, early recipients of this Marine Corps martial arts program. That was after the Marine Corps' nine-line uh, martial arts program. So he so. just came over and slammed you. Yeah, wow. and I and I kind of like flew back against the racks and and stuff. And he he moved right on. You know, I have no idea what his reaction was. Like, yeah, fucking serves you right, dumbass. Or oh shit, whoops. Like, you yeah. know, because they're not quite supposed to do that. But uh, um, yeah. but it's fine. I mean, I, like I said, I don't think it needs to get any softer than it already is huh. in the military. So. And the reason I brought up meant I didn't go down this road to criticize or say, I got beat up in boot camp. Like I said, I'm very happy and grateful for my whole experience. But um, I remember thinking early on, I, I, uh, these guys sound like idiots, how much they swear. And I'd never really paid attention to how much or if I swore in my life that much. Uh, and then in boot camp, I was like, I'm just going to not swear. And, uh, um, the reason this comes back to the all the way back now to the combat stress coffee cup is he, the this counselor or whoever this navy doc guy who was telling us about it said when that happens when your combat stress coffee cup overflows from something you experience something's got to give somewhere and for me after like two and a half or three years deep however long i'd been in and pretty watching my language pretty dang good and uh all of a sudden i had this day where my combat stress coffee cup overflowed and I started just swearing up a storm, swearing like a Marine or a sailor, you know, and, uh, and, uh, really haven't locked it down since, but, uh, it's as far as, uh, how, how a person can crack under stress, that ain't bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good outlet. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, they say people who swear, uh, more actually experience less pain. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like if you hit your thumb with a hammer or something, you say, God damn it, motherfucker. Like that actually relieves some of the pain. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you can stop it with the language and not then punch the wall or your yeah. truck or something, because I've done dumb shit like uh, that, yeah. too. I've yeah. never like, punched a wall. Yeah. I've never understood that, because well, I know that's going to hurt. Yeah, and I'm. I, I. it seems like there's a lot worse offenders than me, but yeah. I have done dumb things like that where I just I feel like I need to lash out on something than I do, and then you just hurt yourself worse. Like, yeah, that exactly. Was yeah. That was dumb. Yeah. 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 Wow. I, th that whole experience is so far from anything I've ever been even close to. I, I can't imagine. Every time I see those movies and I see that guy, you know, the drill instructor with his mm. bulging neck and veins and screaming into some guy's face, I just think, 
fuck you dude yeah. get the fuck out of my face that was my problem yeah. <laughs> exactly chris is like <laughs> i don't know how does face. this like freaking punk rock anarchist graffiti skateboard kid end up in the marine corps why yeah. Yeah. And, and i honestly like I, i'm very happy i ended up in the marines but i didn't know one from the other necessarily so you, i you, went you to the enlisted right right i went to you know how they're often like navy army marines next to each other i just went in army like that's the military right i went in the, the door to the army and uh the army guy I, i'm guessing he must have been getting ready to go to lunch or something because i came in and i was like feeling all pumped up like because i'd finally decided i'm gonna do this and uh i go i want to do like the hardest job you got and uh this is why i think he's going to lunch because with no apparently no professional pride whatsoever right. he goes you should just go next door to the marines <laughs> <laughs> and that's no no slight to the army who has all kinds of badasses in it but uh i'm really happy he said that because i went next door to the marines who are more like the fuck are you doing here why would you come in here and you know they give you a much harder time and see like i don't think you can cut it buddy and like blah 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 and but they still want to get you into if they can. So, but yeah, the Marines was a good fit for me. I like to think of the Marines as a place that where that they'll take the outsiders, they'll take the cast offs and weirdos and the guys that are about to go to prison instead and all kinds of refuse of society. And it was the right place for me. <laughs> Did you meet some guys there who would have been in prison otherwise? You know, I, I take with a grain of salt, but yeah, I met a number of them. In that first unit that I called knuckleheads, it was like, it was a bunch of guys that had been in, um, you know, three years and they were still a private or something. Because they just, they didn't have enough to do. My first fleet and assignment was out in Japan. And so they're, they're 18, 19, 20, training to go to combat, but, but they haven't been yet. But they can't drink alcohol, technically. And so because they choose to, then they're getting busted down, getting in mm. trouble. And, um, okay, so a number of those dudes told me, yeah, well, it was either prison or this, so I picked the Marines or whatever. Mm. And, uh, you know, whether it's true or not, I don't know if they still do that, but <laughs> with at least one of them, I, I didn't doubt it, mm. you know. But um, I heard it said sometimes, I, uh, you know, it's kind of embarrassing me for me sometimes to even re um touch some of the thoughts i had because looking back they were kind of prideful and um like i had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder but not in the way you'd expect like i definitely felt like i was inferior to everyone that everyone else was tougher and cooler than me but i also kind of thought like oh, i'm i don't know what it was like i i'd had some pretty diverse experiences in my life already before i went into boot camp so I sort of thought, ah, these are kind of, well, how people eventually saw me. These are knuckle draggers, you know, trigger pullers. They're just the cannon fodder. Like, mm. just get them trained up and send them out there. And I thought, oh, I'm special and unique because I've read some books and shit, mm. you know. <laughs> right. It's sort of embarrassing, like I say, to admit, but I think I saw that. So the more time I spent with these guys, I realized, and I've, this is a cliche, I didn't come up with it, but um, this idea of, hey, these might not be who you want as your next door neighbor, but it's exactly who you want out there at the tip of the spear in mm, the shit, you know? Right. And so then I have this, like, you know, this working man's pride about it. And like, yeah, these are my people, man. We're the, we're the fucked up guys out here doing it. But actually in retrospect, I think many of them would make a good neighbor, especially if we did find ways 
to do more beyond thank you for your service to help assimilate back. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the hard part. That's the part where it's like we might not make the best neighbors. Yeah. Because um, we're just trying to figure out on our own how to, especially it would have been harder for the younger guys that hadn't seen as much as me. It's like, okay, okay, we've got you trained up, well indoctrinated. We know you're going to point your gun. In fact, you're itching to point your gun and shoot it at a real enemy, you know? And um, so do that and do it in this country and do it in that one and then come back. And I was lucky to float by Navy ship out and back. I was on a Marine Expeditionary Unit and during that had my combat tour. And um, so to fly there, yeah, see combat, hours. come back yeah. and then be in Southern California or, yeah. or North Carolina or something like shit. I, I was so lucky to have more decompression. And even me, I got back and was like, fuck this. Like I, I had no... I had love for America. I had love for freedom. I had love for my fellow human beings, kind of, but it was all covered up with all kinds of angst mm -hmm. about, like, why you got a yellow ribbon on your fucking H3 or whatever, like your Hummer that gets mm -hmm. 10 miles to the gallon. Like, right. if you support the troops, buy less oil or whatever. Like, I, I, it's silly stuff, but your mind is operating in a weird way. Like, yeah. When you were in Iraq, were you thinking about that kind of thing? About how, hey, we're here because of oil and this is, you know, geopolitical maneuvering. These guys aren't attacking America, right? <laughs> I uh, thankfully was busy enough not to spend much time thinking about it. Um, I went in, I finally got to boot camp months after I joined the Marines or, you know, signed up in October of 02. So guys are already in the shit in Afghanistan, have been for a freaking year and um, more than a year at that point. And so I'm in boot camp. You're totally just, you don't see news, nothing, three months. Then a school of infantry for longer. And then I went um, to some follow-on training, learning some call, to call for artillery fire in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Mm. And uh, I remember seeing on the news like shock and awe and it was one of the first times i'd seen the news in like half a year almost mm. you know and then i was like wait baghdad what's going on like did did something happen while i was training that's how to the loop is i was that i wondered did we get attacked again did this right. or that happen right. um and when i when i put put it all together and kind of got the gist i did have a feeling right off the bat especially being raised on punk rock and skepticism you know yeah. i'm like yeah this is just fucking you know old white guys going to get some shit in another country but um that may have had some truth to it but it's it's not quite that simple and uh so i did put some thought into it beforehand like i don't get it you know why why tie this up i mean afghanistan is like if i understand right like kind of south asia it's not or um the middle east it's different yeah. it's very different than the levant so to speak sure. and um so it was confusing but i didn't know man i barely knew where all the countries were let alone you know the intricacies of it that i've given it more thought over time but once i put boots on the ground in iraq and i had experience with um uh seeing parts of these mass graves of people who had been killed in the 
if I understood right, upwards of 100,000 people at a time under Saddam. And so what the intricacies of what kinds of weapons of mass destruction were or weren't there, I don't know. I, I'm talking over my pay grade here, kind of, but I'm just saying, like, it felt more right once I was there. It seemed more cut and dry. And like you've seen on movies and books a million times, it just boils down to, okay, this is my job. I raised up my hand to the square and took an oath. I am a man of, of duty, and it's not my job to make the um, decisions but to execute them. Now, I, anyway, that's what I felt at the time, and I, uh, I did my best, and I came to love the people that I served with and the people that, that, that where I think that love comes from is shared suffering. Right. When you suffer together, you build bonds that are so strong. And I'm sure this has been articulated before, but it's just such a powerful lesson. And, and it, and that way, like, so like I had these prideful thoughts that I'm so fucking special and stuff in this freaking redneck from Georgia who we paid $5 to eat a MRE bread and tarantula live tarantula sandwich you know i think uh, and and i love him like a brother all yeah. of a sudden you know and he doesn't know fucking black flag or dead kennedys are or anything but he's you know knows how to shoot his m16a2 so he's my buddy and yeah anyway his is you ever a good trip. you ever listen to uh sebastian younger or read any of his stuff yeah 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 i read his book i think it's called war oh yeah, yeah war yeah and then another good one that applies to that is tribe tribe is great. One, yeah. yeah yeah i like that one um yeah man in, in war i think or maybe it was an interview um that i was listening to but they the interviewer asked him you know um because he was embedded with i don't know if it was marines or army and in, in afghanistan yeah, army and Kandahar, yeah yeah and he, they said like you know these guys you know from the little town in nebraska like they they don't know why we're there right you know they don't know why they're they're suffering they don't they don't know the purpose <laughs> of it or the origins or anything like why do they do it why don't they mm -hmm. just say fuck this and go home and younger he said uh the reason men fight is f because of the love of the men they're fighting with. Like it's, and I thought that's when I thought of the dog thing you and I were talking about yeah. last night, how it, it's this way of taking the best part of someone and using that as leverage to get them to do things that they themselves would never come up with <laughs> and which are, not even in their interest, you know, they're, sure. they're, they're risking their lives, they're risking their, their mental health, you know, even if they're successful in it, yeah. you know, yeah. um, it just, it, it broke my heart that, you know, getting back to what you're saying about human nature and, um, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman and on killing and all that, it, it's so ironic and tragic that we take this capacity for love that we have and this need to defend our friends and you know look out for each other and i got your back you got my back that yeah. that's such a beautiful thing we have 
it's sort of what makes us human, right? This cooperation, like we go hunting together. If that, yeah. you know, if a fucking bear attacks you, I'm not going to run away. I'm going to defend you, yeah. and we'll go together, yeah. or we'll you know die together. Or yeah. It's yeah. like that's something that's so deeply human, and to take that and twist it around into like you know go take over the fucking oil fields or yeah. It's, I get it. Amazing. I know. I I have this like conflict in my mind even because I listen and I'm I'm nodding and agreeing with you, but part of me is is fighting it a little bit too because I'm like oh man, I don't know. I'm conflicted inside, you know. It is beautiful. Um I've heard it referred to as gameness or being game and it's in dogs too, mm. fighting dogs in particular and it's like put me to work. Like let me like fight. This feels right. This feels like what I'm made to do. I remember just feeling inept all my life and being in a combat situation felt like home to me. I was like, I didn't have time to think about shit. I had time to hmm. act and that felt right. It felt like speed chess. It's relaxing know? in a way. Kind of because your choices are abbreviated. And now yeah. now there's levels higher than where I was operating. I, I was a corporal by the time I went. So I have very low level responsibility but it's serious responsibility it's real fucking life yeah and um i just remember like yeah man this feels like what i was made to do let me do this some more i mean later you have different things settle upon your psyche and stuff when time when things slow down um so you're right it it would be grand it what what is makes me feel more cynical especially is when you think okay it is these kind of like creepy old white dudes pulling the strings they don't go their children or grandchildren don't go and um yep. you know i'm i'm kind of the cliched example of like all right i don't really have money to go to college i kind of i had this artisan type job where i was carving and doing artwork and i got i came back from teaching snowboarding for a season which was a blast and i'd been replaced by a cnc machine you know, really? which can do a shitty version of what I was doing for way cheaper, yeah. you know? Yeah. And anyway, so it was sort of like, yeah, I mean, I was the perfect candidate kind of, yeah. you know, and I did it willingly. I, yeah. I, like I told you the other day, I just, I really do appreciate it. I would love if we could all enjoy freedoms without fighting. And maybe that is in our future. I really hope it is, but it just doesn't appear to be how the, humans operate with one another um and so because others sacrificed i had a huge wind at my back all my life and so you know i don't i don't have a career path i don't seem to have any grand shit going for me and it's my turn to pitch in mm -hmm. and so in that was a big part of my decision is like okay th this is my turn i'm the, just the right age it's time country's asking for fellas to go let me go pitch in you know yeah. and and really in retrospect i know now i was seeking that initiation i i had done some boy scouts i'd done some religious service i told you about i'd i think i wanted that after reading the knights of the round table and national geographics and all kinds of things like where's I'm not saying I thought this in the moment, but I felt it in the moment. I needed initiation. I needed to know that I was an adult, that I was a man yeah. and stuff. And it might not be perfect, but the Marine Corps is an initiation, right? Yeah. It is. It, 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 you can call it counterfeit or not, but it's, 
is what we got right, right now to work with. And it doesn't have to be just the Marines. I'm just saying those are versions of it is almost all we got left. It seems like in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. There's not a lot that, that fulfills that role. Hmm. And also we were talking last night about the warrior archetype hmm. and uh, it seems like you have that pretty strong and always have. So like that, you know, playing football probably wouldn't wasn't going to do it for you in the same way. You you needed um, something harder than that. Yeah. Or, or more real life. I mean, football, you can get hurt, but still sure. it's just a fucking And game. there's a cool, like, team and squad element to it. I was yeah. I was a bit too individualistic <laughs> to, to get deep into that. I did try team sports thrown up and kind of fizzled out by high school age. I was more into skateboarding and rock climbing and more right. individualistic things. But um, there's probably great value in those things, although we could obviously do without some severe brain injury to teens. But anyway, yeah. I'm not hating on football. It's great. But, you know, play a more manly sport like rugby, maybe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, like, I, yeah, those, because it, our, our, like, brains are smart enough to know this is a game. Yeah. It's not life and death. And I like, I like when the cool coach gives a speech like freaking Leonidas or something. That's great. Get fired up and go out there after halftime and turn it around. It's right. beautiful, you know, but but we still know it's a game. Yeah. It doesn't mean go out. I mean, do go out there and give your all. That's freaking awesome. It, it's, it's its own little battlefield. But there's something different. When I was young, uh, we used to have um, pine cone fights where you hurl pine cones at one another. And it would sometimes escalate to rock fights. You're throwing rocks at each other. I remember being scared sometimes with some of the older kids, uh, you know, winging rocks at me to the level of damn near pissing my pants. I later felt that feeling sometimes like I, or something that approached it, uh, in, in combat experience, like, Oh shit. Like this reminds me of, of being a kid, you know, that felt full fledged as a kid. It didn't feel like a game right. to me, you know, with a bigger, heavier dude hurling a rock as hard as he can. Yeah. It's scary. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's real life. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it. And then, so what I mean is, I guess what I was maybe getting at is, yes, you can get hurt playing football, but it's it's labeled a game. You join up to play the game, and in combat, it felt very clearly to be not a game. And, uh, yeah. It's a luxury, that kind of clarity, <laughs> isn't it? You know, you and I were talking about, like we were in the dirt earlier, and we were talking about, Thoreau's line and goes back to the Stoics that your wealth is best measured by what you can do without. Mm. I often thought, and for me, the closest I ever got to these sorts of experiences was traveling and trying to get, you know, like way out off living the, out of a pack. Yeah, right. Exactly. That, yeah. And like yeah. your, your life gets boiled down to very few things that you need, that you know, that you appreciate. And, um, and yeah, I, I can remember, for example, getting picked up i was hitchhiking somewhere in the yukon maybe and i'd been like two days without a ride and it was raining and there were bears around and mosquitoes and it was fucking all miserable and this guy picks me up and he's smoking in his car and his windows are up 
And I get in the car, and I'm so grateful. And normally, if somebody was smoking, I'd be like, oh, fuck, man. You know, open a window. This was great. And I remember thinking, like, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit if I get cancer in five years from this. Because all I'm worried about is right here and now. I'm yeah. out of the rain. I'm in a car. I don't care yeah. if this guy is going to try to feel me up or convince me to join his church or yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah, you man. know? It was I'm just out the, of the elements for a minute. Yeah. What a beautiful grateful. Exactly. Yeah. It was the purity and all those secondary concerns were absolutely inconsequential. Yeah, you know? you're right. When you put it like that, I, I I follow you. That is a good feeling. Like if someone's shooting at you, that must make all like, you know, Everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. All of a sudden, your ROE card, your rule of engagement card, you don't have to look at that right. and go step by step and see, am I allowed to shoot at this person? Right. Fuck Fucking that. A, right. I can't. I'm like, <laughs> sweet. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. You just clarified things for me. Now, <laughs> shit got more complicated. I was there in an interesting time where, yeah, they, I don't know. I don't know all the details, but yeah, it sometimes did get complicated where ah, just because someone's shooting at you doesn't mean they're shooting like at you at you so you know i don't know apparently some guys didn't have that luxury and that clarity mm -hmm. and i that would be rough yeah yeah so you come back uh i guess you re-enlisted right if you were in for you know long. interestingly enough i uh uh let's see i my first four years was up so you sign up for four years but you're actually signing up for eight it's oh. just sort of like four are active duty and four could be uh inactive reserve which is not even going to drill on certain weekends it's just straight up you do whatever you want but technically you're on the books still oh i see and so if they need you they can call you yeah back and and so you know oh six i'm getting ready to get out after my first four years and they're like hey man here's your options and uh one of them i really really wanted to do uh reconnaissance they needed more recon marines like company level recon not force reconnaissance and uh I'd always wanted to do that, but I What's just... What's the difference? Uh, you get to go to a BRC and other schools, basic reconnaissance course, and you're just a little more of a badass than a, than a regular infantryman. And I just, I was like, man, when I'd see them, uh, so instead of wearing green silkies, they get to wear black silkies. And No, there's there's more difference there. They just get more training. They, they do harder and more diverse training and more. They're like... Uh, just just uh yeah badasses that specialize in recon patrols and really raids and and other stuff that i got to practice some of but it's like their bread and butter mm. and and yeah they're just more prestige there and um i just wanted to do it i wanted to like i wanted to work with i wanted my whole peer group to be other guys that were just like this is it this is my profession i'm gonna be fucking excellent at it and I'd like to say that that's what it was like at the line company level, but it's not. And, and everybody listening will know that, that too, but or guys, and, um, it's fine. It's hard to get a hundred guys together and every one of them is a hard charging sure. badass, right. you know, but I, I would have really liked that. I love listening to the Navy SEALs and, and Green Berets and, and all that stuff. And that just sounds like, I oh, would so cool. And, um, so you, that was one of your options that you yeah, really wanted to do. Yeah, and they and you know <laughs> they offer a signing bonus and and whatnot. But you know I didn't even have that hard of a time. I wasn't deployed every freaking year. I had all kinds of cool training. I'd got to spend that first year in Japan, which was grand, and um, uh, and yet I still felt like because I was so fresh back from the Mew, 
uh, and and going to Iraq and stuff, I was uh, I just felt burned out a little bit, you know. And uh, so I was like, nope, I'm gonna get out and go to college and get a degree, which I thought I could do when they sign up. Like you could get a degree while you're in the Marines, and and you know if you're a little more motivated than me, maybe you can. But I I didn't pull it off or even get close. So <laughs> uh, anyway, I wanted to get a degree. I just had it in my head, and so I. I got out, I turned down this signing bonus for like a combat squad leader level. It was like 30 grand signing bonus or something at the time, or at least that's what I was told. And um, got out and and did go to college and chip away at, at some courses and had a real interesting time and for a little while just trying to be a civilian. And then, then, then I got recalled within the year. So they got me back for free. And that's when uh-huh. this guy who I, you know, my master sergeant, he was now like master gunnery sergeant, I believe, and calling the shots and said, um, you know, no need to go. So I got recalled to go to Afghanistan and instead he redirected me to Uh, a unit in Hawaii. Right. That was great. Right. Yeah. And honestly, and you were there another, how long? About three years. years, Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I'm happy that it worked that way. And even in the moment I was like, you know what? I was so eager to get out and like they told me I would they're like you're gonna regret it you're gonna wish you were back in and I kind of did I mean because of the structure honestly for me at least structure isn't always my favorite thing (laughs) but it was like like what we've addressed this um camaraderie or esprit de corps and it's the stuff that younger writes about so eloquently right those bonds that are built and you read about them in gates of fire and and uh, all kinds of great books. And do you ever think about, you know, like the enemy is is playing this role of it's almost like a dance partner. Hmm. Like the whoever the enemy happens to be, they're providing the danger and a lot of the discomfort and things that the suffering, as you put it, that's forming these bonds with your buddies and the guys you're in the the hole with. And do you ever think that hmm. that they're going through the same thing and like over there they're loving each other the way we're loving each other and do you ever think about that symmetry shit you know not in those exact terms but I did often think I I, I had this thought even way back then it's like shit man I most likely have more in common with this fucker I'm shooting at than the guy like three ranks above me telling me what the fuck to do you know right. and um it that may or may not be true because there's also significant differences between his worldview and mine sure. but all i mean is most likely we're both not from the upper echelons of our yeah. caste in right. our country yeah exactly and so i did sometimes think about that and it is sort of kind of kind of tragic comic you know like it's <clears throat> like shit man it sure be nice to not be this way because yeah you're probably right and by all means i think because i talked about this um we build these bonds of love through shared suffering it does seem like there needs to be a force acting upon you right um i later reflected on it and i was like can i get this somewhere else and i was into rock climbing and not really full-on mountaineering but i'd push do some alpine rock climbing where you get hike in a ways do do a a full day of climbing and and come back the next day or something like that and a little bit out there your hand your lives are in each other's hands smoke jumpers 
Oh yeah, that's a good one. You know? Or yeah, even that yeah that uh, heli tack cruise and stuff. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Everybody um, does that. Firefighter you're right. And Absolutely. He shit. feels a lot of that brotherhood. Yeah. And, like they've saved each other's asses. Cool. And, Seen each other like under a lot of pressure and how well you perform, you know. And that's kind of so pure because um, not that warfare is not pure in its way too, but it's a little less tragic that it's it's the forces of nature rather than members of your species that yeah. are being that antagonistic force on you. And, and also, I mean, thinking talking about the mm-hmm. the enemy, this this amorphous term yeah. that we use, right? Um, I imagine. The the U.S. military is a fucking monster, and these mm. dudes running out, you know, or making their homemade bombs, or do you know? There's something. I mean, I would not want to fight against the U.S. No, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, uh, talk about professional killing machine. You know, I I uh, lived and trained at Camp Pendleton in this area where there was a Hilo firing range, so when you have duty and you got to be up all night anyway i'd go out when i'd hear him come and so you see these uh these marine aviators flying cobra attack helicopters They're terrifying dude in in the night especially the uh, is it the 20 millimeter machine gun it sounds like and it looks like a rope of fire yeah. just lashing out from the sky and then it shoots their hellfire missiles which kind of like drop and then fire forward and that woof and uh the look and the sound is so fucking terrifying. I just remember out there having a little battle boner, just being like, "Fuck, I'm glad they're on my team, man." Like, yeah. yeah. And when and then yeah. in country, when you, you see them show up, you're like, "Fuck yeah!" I mean, it's like the Valkyries coming. Like, it yeah. just feels good. But absolutely, I mean, I don't want to give credit to my enemy that much, you know, because I have all these reasons to have stood against them. But fucking a, I mean, you need to have some. Some balls you got to balls. show up against that. Um, and you see these dudes in Afghanistan driving around these old Toyota pickup trucks yeah. and wearing like you know bathrobes and <laughs> slippers, and they're like going up against that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and drones and you know shit from the sky. They can't even comprehend what's going on. It's crazy. You know, I, I said earlier that I sometimes felt scared in combat like i did when i was having rock fights as a kid but i remember early very early on like one of the first days hearing all this machine gun fire and mortar fire and like i said i lived not only by the helo range in pendleton but there was a machine gun range a demo range um there was a lot of ranges around so i'm constantly hearing machine gun fire and mortar fire and things like that so i'm strolling along in country later and realizing oh those aren't my my brothers in arms practicing over there people fucking shooting at each other you know and it's sunk in i should maybe be a little more worried than i am yeah and uh yeah oh the reason i brought that up is i wasn't as scared as i should have been i think sometimes but i'm happy uh that i wasn't too because i've had other times honestly in in law enforcement where i was way more scared Hmm. for some reason and um, well, the reason may be the military is such a monolithic force and we are really powerful that you just, I just always felt like, ah, they got me, you know? And, and like I told you, I was sometimes just eight to 12 dudes pretty fucking far away from anybody that really could have helped us out. But you just sort of always felt like 
cradled in the loving arms of the glorious Marine Corps, you know, yeah. like, like somebody had always had your back and you were yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. And I don't know. It wasn't, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. It just looking back, I felt like, ah, we're good. Like we fucking own this place. Like, let's yeah. just go around and do what we got to do. Right. And then, uh, I wanted to say about that is I, somewhere along the line, I've heard it said, and um, someone's gonna has said it way more eloquently than me, but it's basically this idea of listen the the, the military may not it's so powerful that they might not be able to instill in you a proper level of uh, self discipline. You do learn a lot of it there, but what I'm getting at is okay, your enemy is motivated in what they're doing. They're zealous. They get up earlier than you. They clean their weapon better than you. They take care of their gear better than you. They're training their ass off day in and day out to kill your ass. And somebody out there has said that. I'm, I heard it. That's not me. That They said it better than I'm saying it. And when I started hearing that, it sunk in. And I was like, then I started getting up earlier. And then I started taking better care of my shit. Because the military asks a lot of you. They don't ask that much of you. It's not that hard. You can be a real shitbag and skate through mm -hmm. the military. So, and then in law enforcement, they care even less. You can become a big fat slob and they give two shits really. Mm -hmm. And as long as you keep showing up for your shifts, you know, but then what if the day comes that you're called upon by that, a freaking motivated psychopath that wants to take your gun away and kill you with it? I don't know. I don't, I, I've sort of, as you know, I've, I've kind of made some efforts to separate myself from that line of work. Finally, whether that was a wise decision or not, I'm not sure, but you know, I, like I said, that, that kind of endless hypervigilance can, can get tiresome and a, and a better balanced person than me might handle it better and find the right equilibrium. Do you think the military, I know a lot of people follow that path of military, right. you know, foreign deployment, come back home, go into law enforcement. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's so striking living in Spain and dealing with cops in Spain versus dealing with cops in the U.S. You know, I feel like cops in the U.S., and I say this respectfully, but I feel like they're my enemy. They want to hurt me. Yeah. They want to fuck me up. They want to find those marijuana plants that I had growing in the basement and throw me in prison. Or they want to, you know, throw me in a cage because I, you know, bought or sold some mushrooms to a friend, yeah. you know, back in college or whatever. And it's that's like, too I've, bad. But yeah, but I mean, I've that, done a lot of shit you. Right. Yeah. that, that would have gotten me mm -hmm. in prison forever. And but in Spain, cops aren't looking to fuck with you. Like the whole system's different. They're they're not um, they're not looking for arrests. They're they just want everyone to be chill, right? And they won't. They're not like running around in helicopters with infrared cameras trying to find somebody <laughs> growing three plants in their living room. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. They don't give a shit. So so it's weird sitting here talking to you, and we haven't really gotten into this. But when you came back, you went into law enforcement, and I guess what I was going to say is like. The the military training teaches you how to be in a foreign, hostile country. Right. And then you come home, and without even really thinking about it, that same sort of mentality can apply to where you're working. 
in a city in the U.S. Hmm. And so maybe not me, because I'm white, but maybe a black dude or a brown dude who's the color of the people that were trying to kill you for the last five or six years. Hmm. You know, maybe that's one of the problems that we're having here is that a lot of these people going to law enforcement are so stressed out and so accustomed to being hated, you know what I mean? Being an occupying force. It sets up this oppositional relationship with the people you're policing. Hmm. Anyway, I just find it weird. You know, you're a great dude. You've invited me here. I'm with your kids and we're, you know, eating together. and, And yet, five years ago, if I had stumbled across you and a bag of coke fell out of my pocket you might have been putting cuffs on me right what a weird world and because of who i am it probably has something to do with why i'm not doing that anymore right but uh you're right i mean i i don't know all the intricacies but i've given it tons of thought because when i hear of a police shooting i i want to know the details not for a you know macabre sick interest but because i want to learn lessons from it right why did this happen how could it be avoided it's it is so complex and beyond my you know skills of reasoning but i I still bend my meager mind to it from time to time and i and i just think uh, i came i I was not that i got out in 2010 in 20 Later in 2010, I began uh, the police academy. Right. And I, um, my military experience did not transfer perfectly over. They had to temper it a great deal. I'll bet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, by all means. Yeah. And, and so if you really internalize, at least the police academy I went to in Western Washington State was excellent really excellent i just am so grateful that they put so much thought and effort and time and i mean these instructors would get up hours ahead of time for those of us that wanted to show up at training four in the morning instead of six in the morning they'd stay after for those of us that want to stay a few hours after and practice shit more i mean and they The trainers seem to do their utmost to Mm. just do an excellent job and cram as much good knowledge and wisdom, too, to temper Mm. your gameness. Were they used to dealing with you guys? uh, They were getting it by that point, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. And and there had already been some pushback against the over-militarization of police and stuff, which is a complex argument that I'm not well, you know, armed to speak about. But I... I, uh, Now... So the training was outstanding. Uh, then you go out to your job and that is very hit and miss out there. I'm not, I also have a deep respect for law enforcement. Having done a little bit of it, I'm like, this is a fucking hard job, especially if you have a conscious conscience and, uh, and you have a bit of heart right. and I hope, you know, I, maybe I should have stuck with it because there's we, we need good hearts out there, but it's really Stop. taxing on yeah. a good heart too. And yeah. I don't know. I'm, uh, you know, I'll feel embarrassed later thinking of certain people listening to this and thinking what a fucking pansy I am and stuff. But like, I'm a tender-hearted dude, I guess, and that's okay. And uh, it's it's part of my nature. And 
Um, Will you tell that story you told me? Sure, man. I want to say... Okay, yes. And then maybe if it seems right, we might readdress some of these shootings and stuff. Uh, uh, So part of your early... Uh, law enforcement experience after the academy is the FDO time uh, field training officer or something similar there's different terms for it so it's the classic like cop movie thing the grizzled old vet and the young rookie learning the ropes so to speak and so it's complex you know and my my trainer uh, at the time bless his heart I guess maybe but uh, anyway he was just a hard ass he'd been like a Chicago cop for 30 years and then you know had six months of retirement and was like, fuck this, I'm going to go be a cop again and came out to Seattle, you know, and uh, he, uh, he's a good dude, old fashioned guy in, in certain ways, but yeah, he was, he was a hard ass and he didn't, he didn't make it easy and he shouldn't have. He did a good job in his own way. And he, uh, so I was never really sure exactly what I was supposed to do. There's the rules by the book guy uh so i'm driving along uh, in in the town i worked and there's i'm in the two lanes going the same direction i'm in the right and there's a this is comical there's like early 90s honda accord or honda civic i can't remember which which is just a classic like you're gonna take a couple looks at the early 90s honda (laughs) yeah man it's just classic it's probably either stolen or some dipshits driving it i know this is over stereotypical but you're gonna at least check it out and uh and so I slow down to take a peek at the um, license plate, and he slows down. So I slow down a little more. It's like a 35 there. I'm slowing to 25, and he slows to 25. Uh, he doesn't and want he, you to see No, it. I keep slowing down till we're damn near at a stop. <laughs> and by then, I'm like sort of more indoctrination as a cop. Like it's silly for me to think back that I would look over there with angry cop face and be like, point at him and be like, fucking over there, buddy. Pull yeah. it over. And it was an old older gentleman and he pulled over on a side street and I, I just I'm just doing the drill you know like as a young rookie like that you kind of are always looking for something to do if you're sitting there with nothing to do it ain't reflecting nicely on you and you're gonna go sit down at the end of the day and have a guy go over check boxes with you saying I don't know you weren't very proactive and blah blah uh. blah so anyway um, there has to be a system in place I'm not talking shit on the system necessarily so I walk out of the car thinking okay I go check the registration, license, insurance, etc. And I do the drill. And the guy, he's just this small, he was just a working man. I could just see it right away. And I, I don't know. I have a vivid imagination. So maybe I just cooked it up. But I'm like, man, it's just a guy wants to go to work, you know. And I go back in my car, run the info. He's It's just like his third or fourth time getting pulled over for expired tabs, you know. And I'm like... Ah, shit. I guess I'm supposed to write him a ticket, you know? The last thing he needs in his life, he just needs to go to work. He doesn't need a fucking $124 ticket and whatever it was. And and I remember sort of like, I don't know if it was verbal or not, but in my memory there was this exchange like, do I have to? <laughs> and him looking at me like, I don't know, do you? You know, like yeah. it's your call, rookie. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. And, and I wrote a ticket and went up and gave it to the guy and the old man just had tears coming down his eyes oh, and man. and i don't he didn't even speak english that well but i'm like and i think i might have even said something like man if you don't 
one ticket don't fucking drive an expired tab car but that's such a fucking simple way to say it because right. i can afford to pay my tabs every time they come up right it doesn't always work like that for people yeah he obviously knows how to work hard it ain't that he's a slacker or anything yeah. so i gave the ticket it's done it got wrote i gave it to him and i'm walking back to the my, to the car basically fighting trying to suck a tear back into my <laughs> eye as i fucking softly <laughs> whimper to myself like god damn it why did i do that like guy yeah. ah just is painful man and you know i don't think the fto noticed or anything but it was one of a series of of experience i had where i started thinking so when i got out of the military i'm like i don't know what do you do i wasn't a radar technician i didn't learn how to mm. work on helicopters i got paid to shoot people and uh, right. you know and no one gives a shit about that so and they shouldn't obviously in the civilian sector but cops give a little bit of a shit so i just thought i guess that's what you do and i went and did it and then yeah and then i'm just like well i don't know man i mean there's plenty of awesome beautiful cops out there who have a great family life and things just work and they just they just probably have a, a different psyche than me and they they don't take everything so serious as i seem to and, and things that probably helps but for me i just started thinking so man i can do this for a career and then have two or three wives and have some kids that don't like me and fucking die as soon as i retire you know and that's that's just over generalizing but it does happen to a lot of leo guys and i don't know it's i think it's it's hard to do something that you don't believe in Right. I don't believe in hassling people. Right. I, I, if I'd have stuck with it a little longer, I, I made it, might've made a career of it because I would sometimes work with a, a woman officer who was, I just really admired her. She, she would find shit that was important to her to enforce and enforce that. She didn't ever pull anyone over hmm. until everyone saw, they say, Hey, you know, all units, you were doing a traffic blitz and you have to show up and do some shit. But, um, but like she would pick shit that really she didn't like like dudes that beat up their girlfriends etc and she focused on that and i'm like yeah man if i get a call decide then yeah by all means there i i, I would really like it if our whole society decided not the 10 commandments but 10 to 20 laws that we think are really important and let's right. make that shit let's let everyone know that we're serious about it and then maybe let the little things exactly let yeah. the little things slide if a guy smokes weed and then goes shoot up a bank then fucking get him in trouble right. you know and and for a good example is if you but crash a car ever happen no <laughs> very good point yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i never really had a big go. scuffle with somebody really smoked out of their mind <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. what i mean and i let's go let's get high and go beat up cops yeah yeah, yeah good idea oh gosh <laughs> yeah but they're it's it's messy out there man yeah and so this is a little judgmental and and the the shooting the shootings that are labeled good or bad are more complex than i can see and i'm arm arm chore, armchair quarterbacking the shit out of this i acknowledge that but i armchair quarterback because i want to learn a lesson okay and so i'm looking at these shootings and i'm judging the shit out of it outside of the situation not fully abreast of all of the intricacies at play there sure and none of us are but it appears to me that a lot of these shootings are done not out of like a animosity or i hate folks that aren't the same skin color of me i i hate to admit but i probably should there there's got to be some of that and that just really pains my heart that that's still around in in this day and age 
It's insane to me, but it's obviously out there. But I think a lot of these are actually more errors done out of fear. And fear can come of, from lack of training, lack of knowledge, lack of tactical and technical proficiency. So as a Marine, I'm not going to jump out of a vehicle and stand in the middle of a parking lot and start hollering at a person. I'm, I need to get out of my vehicle. But there's an engine block I could use to be between him and I. There's mm. maybe a Jersey Berry over here or the corner of a building. And it, it probably would look weird. And it did look weird the way I had other officers be like, the fuck are you doing with certain ways that I did things? But I'm thinking like a Marine. I'm like, what? I think some states, you know, domestic police officers are like, I'm the fucking law. Obey me. And... um that ain't working <laughs> in our, yeah. in our culture, at least. Yeah. So for me, I'll talk to you, but I'm going to have some cover between you and me mm. and I'm going to have some communication on my body so I can keep other units around me working abreast of the situation. So sure. I am, I need to acknowledge again, or I want to, I don't know all the intricacies. I'm just saying from yeah. afar, it feels like I've sometimes thought if I kind of get my shit together better it'd be cool to be involved in the in the training like getting police officers more training you don't need to be so fr- i've seen some of these videos and and it is cut and dry that dude is scared out of his wits and that's why they escalate right and yeah. that's why they shoot a dude that doesn't need to be shot yeah. because they're just fucking amped up beyond all means and i mean I, I get amped up too sometimes but you gotta be able to take a breath and bring some calm to the chaos so to speak which yeah. is the, something one of my instructors said which i just thought was so so great you, this situation it doesn't need any more chaos it doesn't need someone to go let me see your hands blah 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 and the guy next to you screaming put your hands down right. and you're screaming put your hands up and, yeah. and the guy's like the fuck i what yeah. what yeah. like bring calm to the chaos there's enough chaos there and granted I'm way out here talking this shit. I yeah, get it. It's yeah. it's scary out no, there, we're man. We're not judging anybody I know. individually. You, yeah. you you put on that uniform and you go out in the world as a bullseye, as a walking bullseye, unknowing which of these faces you look at has it in for you. You know, you, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. It, you just go up. A traffic stop is is one of the, is way more stressful. I'd I'd stack up on a door and boot in a door and fight my way through a house a hundred times. For me, I, I know this isn't the case for all cops, but that felt like my wheelhouse compared to a traffic stop where I'm just wandering up to a car and wondering if this is one of those ones where they blast you in the face before you even right. get there. Or right. uh, that just stressed me the hell out, man. But like I said, maybe I'm a little wound up to be a, be a cop. But yeah. anyway, I think some more training would be, would be great. Um, you know, when I'm looking at these police agencies to go work for, they'll, you know, a really powerful selling point for him is like we offer a full you know 12 or 24 hours of training per year mm. i i hate to say it but that's nothing yeah and unfortunately eight of those hours might be learning how to use a piece of computer software that helps you better map uh traffic collisions right which isn't going to help you when right. a kid with headphones on isn't listening to your commands right you know um Man, it's just, like I said, the initial, the academy training, outstanding follow-on training is hard to come by. You have to be really motivated. You need to get up early and go to jujitsu. You need to stay after and go to the range. You have to run to and from work, whatever it takes. But 
Nobody else is going to make you do and that. And a fifty-five-year-old dude eating donuts yeah. isn't going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Ah, it's. Yeah. I, I I got a lot of. Had a rough job. I'm happy I had the experience, I guess, and and just hope we we can all figure it out. Thankfully, there's people a lot brighter than me bending their mind to it. But, so we. I don't think we okay. should talk about where you were working. But I know it might a, be interesting to talk about uh, your time in the SWAT team. Yeah. Um, you were guarding a facility, let's just say, sure. and okay. um, so you weren't doing the sort of knocking down doors, hostage situations. You weren't doing that. You were, yeah. What was awesome is I did all the training to do that without right. having to do it in real life. Right. So I was, you know, when I was a, a city cop, I didn't, I wasn't on the SWAT team, but we were where I was was small enough that we would stack on doors and do that kind of stuff for, on occasion. And so um, I knew I was like, yeah, that seems like the kind of thing I, I would be good at. And um, so anyway, once I got this job, there were tiers to this uh, facility job that I ended up on the SWAT team. And so I start at the bottom um, and then I go to SWAT school or whatever. And um, um, a few weeks in, SWAT school is like a mini boot camp. What's SWAT this place, stand for? Special weapons and tactics. Oh. And 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 to be clear, I guess mine is called um, special response team. Just mm. most people don't know that, so I often say SWAT. Right. Maybe I just want people to think I'm extra badass. Right, but yeah. SRT in our program was the SWAT team. Right. So, uh, so I went to the SWAT school. Ours was like, three, like three months long or something. Mm. So a few weeks in, I. We're doing the shoot house, which is where you go from room to room and you have to engage the targets, like I was saying, very precisely. So for one thing, you need to identify within a fraction of a second, does that dude need to be shot? Now, if he needs to be shot, does he need to be shot in the head? Does he need to be shot in the chest? Do I need to shoot him twice in the chest and then shoot that guy in the chest and then him in the head and then him in the head? Why? Or, what's the differentiation? You know, um, you're going to kill him either way, right? Hopefully. I mean, yeah. if he needs to be killed, because there's other ones shoot where... Him in the chest. Right. So, okay, for instance... What if he's got a girl in a headlock and he's got a gun to her head? Oh, I see. A, okay. a center mass shot is you want to shut him off. I mean, right. this is all you're just hoping for the best. You don't know that you're going to shoot this dude in the dome and he's not going to shoot her in the head. But if you shoot him in the shoulder, he's probably going to still shoot her. Right. <laughs> so anyway, he's got a hostage. You give him one to the head and, and move on to the next. And then uh, if he's got, say, um, you know, a lot of our training was geared toward anti-terrorism and so there's suicide vests involved oh, a guy holding right. a trigger he needs one in the dome not in the chest right and uh you know but a, a regular threat pointing his gun out at you you know hook him up with a you know two to the chest and one to the head um anyway these are intricacies that yeah i mean it, it uh okay so i'm doing the shoot house and i shoot a guy that a target that didn't need to be shot. I thought he did because I'm like that dude. That dude's got a a, a suicide vest. Um, but you know, to the instructor's credit, he said, "How do you know?" Because he was wearing a hoodie, and I'm like, "Well, he's got a a trigger in his hand, and he's bulky around the midsection under his thing." He's like, "You have no idea what that guy's got. He's holding a cell phone, you know." But it's just a shitty photocopy of a guy holding a cell phone. You know, I mean, I'm like bemoaning like no fucking i'm swat guy let me keep training you know yeah. but they're like you're fucking out of here and so i went and did more work in as the regular tier guy which was still great training lots of good training and uh 
And then I went back the next year and tried out for SWAT again and got to go to the course again and got through it. And then So you got bumped out because of that one shot? Yep. Yeah. Really? No no mercy, man. And if I would have if I was supposed to shoot him between the eyes and I shot him an inch over the eyes, then you you could get kicked out for that too. Oof. It's uh I, I, that's why I'm so glad that I got those years doing it. It was just um I I'm I'm only saying this is fun listeners because I didn't do it in real life anymore at right. that point. It was really fun training. It's like it exercises your mind, your body and um I think in in real life thankfully we got to train a lot so I do have high confidences in my unit but I've seen footage of guys I don't want to get too specific but in other countries sometimes and I'm sure plenty of people in our country fuck it up too is man fear is powerful out there and CQB that fighting in buildings is it's just I mean you're, you're going through a door that the bad guy knows you're coming and you have tools at your disposal to kind of stack the odds a little better in your favor but that takes some fucking balls to just charge through a door and expect that the next guy will charge and the next and the next and you're all going to get in there and get the job done i felt highly confident with the guys i trained with that that would happen but i get it when i see footage and guys are kind of turkey peeking they're they're coming in coming out like oh shit fuck like and taking angles and you know there's times where you can do that but other times where you kind of need to be yeah i mean it's it feels downright suicidal sometimes but yeah uh, yeah you know, bet. it's made to work in a specific way and if you're not going to do it the way you train to do it it's kind of a free-for-all for right, there and it's not going to help yeah, yeah feels like it so what okay. what would you say to young dudes who are thinking about joining the military sort of in the place where you were at that point in your life like mm. i need to do something you know i'm sick of working at the walmart i don't see my future i want adventure i need some discipline i need to learn some shit is you know like your son you got three sons yeah how, how would you team. feel about them man i i got i got mixed feelings you know yeah i got the just the burning patriot part of me that's like yeah i mean if you have those desires get your ass in shape and make it happen because we could use you you know or they at this point it's not me anymore and uh, uh because i don't think i don't know this for sure but i don't think the military is necessarily getting harder over time um but if you're a, if you're a self-starter and you and you want adventure and you want these things come up with a plan and make that happen you don't need the military to do it for you but mm. you may be like me or you may be a person that just could really benefit from the from that experience in the military i, I kind of have to admit like well of course i have to admit i would have been a drastically different person had i not gone in and not every single freaking experience i had was roses and puppy farts you know it was it was uh mixed and some was hard, some was fucking boring, and some was like just teeth gnashingly annoying to you're gonna be led by people you're absolutely sure you're smarter than, which may or may not be true. You don't know everything that's going on, but I'm just saying like it's painful to to serve in the military, but it's also beautiful, and I'm so grateful i gotta I gotta pitch in, you know, and so all right, you know, if you're thinking about it, you better be damn sure. Because you're going to have lots of moments of doubt later. 
and it's taxing for, you know, these guys serving with you that are going to need to call you, you know, shit, set your shit straight. You need to be the one keeping your shit straight. So anyway, decide and follow the path. If you have, I, I used to say, if you have anything else going for you, go do that. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, but also obviously if you're, you know, the military could really use good people. So I don't know. It, it, I have mixed feelings and, and also you need to reflect like, okay, I, you know, you and I have talked about this more not on the podcast is like, I had deep, uh, you know, I, I pursued a religion with full sincerity for a long time. I had all these ideals and I had an idea of what loyalty meant. And I had the kind of loyalty that the military needs, which is, like I said earlier, I raised my hand, I took the oath, somebody else decides and I fucking execute. That's a kind of loyalty that I, I don't, well, I have different understandings of loyalty now. What I choose to be loyalty, loyal to, I need to con constantly re-examine and be sure that it is worthy of my loyalty. Yeah. Which sounds prideful or egotistical, but no. you need to not be a fucking Nazi. You know what I mean? You could get, yeah. you could, I could say, you, you call the shots and I'll execute. Fuck, that's a scary thought, actually. It's giving away your autonomy as a man, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, ultimately, we're all responsible for what we do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, I don't like that. Well, it was just orders. Yeah. I like to think that that an order may have came down from some disgruntled guy or some broken guy, and I and I would have had the integrity to say, sir, I am not going to do that, whatever the repercussions be. I thankfully wasn't put to that test. Right. But, um, you know, yeah, if you got, you know, you better be sure. Is the if military you got other stuff, go and do it. You? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I... I see these, these <laughs> homeless vets, right. you know, suffering. Well, no, the military is not. The military right. is there to use you and use you up. I don't, I don't begrudge them that. I'm just saying it's not the military's job to fucking hold your hand and show you what to do after. I, I wish there but was how something. About but taking care of people yeah. who got hurt. Yeah, and and the you VA know. is doing their utmost to do that, and other people have different opinions about that. But I finally, after ten years, got involved with the VA, and um, you know, I, I've had almost all good experiences with it. Mm. I feel like the people that I've interacted with are doing their very personal best in what capacity they can to help and you're not running into these five-year waits for i mean i i, I the first time i did counseling uh, yeah i went in early on and was like hey uh, you know i'm new to this area i'm newly out of the military i wanted to check into the va here and the guy just laughed in my face he's like i can put you on the list but you know expect a phone call in like four years or something wow and i was like oh shit so that's why it was another like almost 10 years after that before I ever checked in again. And it was just because I'd bounced into these other um, vets that talked me into it. Like, oh, right. you should go. And, right. Yeah. Set something up. I guess we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Family's starting to come. <laughs> Thanks Shit. for doing yeah, this, man. dude. Thank I mean, you. Seriously. It's, Thanks so much. It's, it's it, not easy to talk about some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll have all kind of mixed feelings and feel all 
embarrassed and whatnot but you know maybe it's good to just get it out every once in a while and i don't yeah. think i said anything too foolish but yeah. everyone else can judge that <laughs> thanks brother thank you i hope you enjoyed that conversation ladies and gentlemen uh i appreciate all the support that you send my way whether it's just thinking nice thoughts or having twisted fantasies that involve me as you drift off to sleep at night or it's sending me money via paypal or patreon or even if it's using my amazon affiliate link um, which if you do that a small percentage of what you spend gets kicked back my way for my nefarious projects thank you and uh hope you're well here's mom and the great Carsey Blanton. Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You want to shut it up, but give it a rest. You're going to die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? Running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say. go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground